Check. All right, we're good. Uh, my name is Tommy. It's good to see you all. How's everyone's summer going? Good? Everyone's still alive after the... Hum- what? Oh, I'm so... Oh, the kids! I was like, I am preaching this morning, right? <laughs> uh, if you're a kid, uh, go with them downstairs, please. I'm sorry, I wasn't briefed on this part of the morning. Thanks. All right, good morning. My name is Tommy. Uh, really excited to be here this morning and uh, to bring you the word. We're going to continue on in our sermon series about the spiritual gifts. So if you've been with us here uh, this summer, then that's what you would have been following along uh, with. And so as we look at the spiritual gifts, uh, this is kind of the, the theme that, that we've been following all summer, which is that uh, the spiritual gifts are their special talents or abilities that are given to us by God. They're empowered by God uh, for the purpose of building the kingdom of God. So we're not just talking about uh, talents and attributes that, that are used out in the world for business or commerce or, or teaching or whatever. We're talking specifically the spiritual gifts, and in that context of spiritual gifts, they're used uh, in a way that builds up the church. So they're given to us by God, they're empowered by God, and they're used for the building of the kingdom of God. And so far, we've talked about prophecy. Uh, we've talked about the gift of prophecy, uh, the gift of service, the gift of teaching, the gift of giving, the gift of exhortation, and the gift of mercy. And this week, we're going to talk about leadership, um, the spiritual gift of being able to lead other people. And I think, to be honest with you, uh, this might be one of the more challenging gifts to talk about. And, and it's not because it's uh, the most special or it's the most unique or it's the most complicated, uh, but it's because that it's one of the gifts that we as humans have, uh, we've seen it used in the most evil and broken ways, more so than any of the other gifts. Um, throughout time, really the darkest moments in our history um, are often, and perhaps always, uh, a product of evil and broken leadership. And, and that's because the combination of authority um, and of influence together is an incredibly powerful thing. And when that's given to a, a sinful person, uh, the sinfulness and evilness uh, that, that is inside that person just becomes magnified and multiplied, even more so than just a person sitting there who is not a leader. And evil men like you have Genghis Khan, you have Idi Amin, you have Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Joseph Kony, um, those men are, are just that. They're, they're, they're evil men. Um, they're broken, sinful men, of which there's no shortage of here in this world, whether it's on campus, where you work, or even sitting here today. There's no shortage of broken, sinful, uh, evil people. And without having authority and influence, without being a leader over people, the names I listed would just be kind of faces in a crowd of broken, sinful people, just like you and I. Um, but as leaders, when these people are put into positions of authority and influence, um, they wreaked havoc here on earth. But we don't need to just look at the, the extreme cases that people always bring up of evil dictators, right? Um, cases of genocidal dictators that, that we know of through history books, um, to know that, that, that broken leadership is, is a destructive force. So whether it's, you know, you driving to work and listening on NPR about the latest uh, political leader who's been indicted for a crime, whether it's at your workplace where you have to submit under poor leadership, um, under a, a bad manager, or even if it's at your own home when you have to submit under a broken structure of leadership in your very own 
home. It, it's almost impossible to have lived this long for all of us here um, without having experienced some sort, some sort of broken, bad leadership. And so I think that that's, that's the challenge of speaking about leadership. But I think that the worst thing about leadership is also one of the best things about leadership. Um, leadership, it, it, it magnifies and, and it multiplies the, the sin inside of man um, when sin is that defining factor of the person that's doing the leading. But when the defining factor of a leader is the gospel of grace, when it's the righteousness made possible by Jesus, if that's the defining factor, then it's that grace and that righteousness that gets magnified and multiplied for everybody around them. And so this morning as we talk about uh, leadership, I think the challenge is for us to, to kind of, uh, for uh, you know, 30 minutes, to remove what we might think or know or conceive or perceive about leadership um, and, and just look purely at what Scripture has to say about spiritual leadership. Um, leadership is a gift that I think probably has the most baggage associated to it. Um, and not just for those striving to live out and practice the form of leadership um, as a spiritual gift themselves, but, but for all of us as we strive to submit under leadership. There's just a lot of baggage that comes with this. So my hope um, is that Scripture, as we look at Ephesians 4, it's going to give us a blueprint for, for what God's design of leadership is. Not the way that we've experienced it uh, necessarily, not the way that the world would tell you what leadership looks like or what a class might tell you or what a book might tell you. Um, and, and I hope that when we see it in Scripture, um, that it would lead us to a place that, that wouldn't make us scared or overwhelmed or maybe bitter or anxious when we think about leadership, um, but that we'd be excited about God's design for it. And if that doesn't happen, we can go back to whatever perception we had of, of leadership before this morning. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. God, we thank you that we can pray to you, that we can pray to you um, without ceasing, and, and that you never stop listening to us, God. Thank you that we have a relationship with you. And Jesus, we thank you for how you model leadership. Um, God, thank you that you call us um, to, to be like you and, and that we get to be leaders like you, loving others with a servant heart, dying for others as you died for us. God, I pray that this morning um, that you would get us excited about how leadership plays out in the church, um, that, that you'd give us ways to encourage leaders and that you'd give us ways to, to be leaders um, in, the t- in the context that you have placed us. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there are obviously lots of different places that we can look at if we want to talk about leadership. There are countless books, seminars, courses, webinars. You can go on YouTube. If you search, you know, how to be a leader, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of results on YouTube alone. And there is a lot of practical wisdom that I think that we can get from the world around us um, that, that would be applicable to us as we talk about leadership. But this morning, we're talking about the spiritual gift of leadership, uh, not just the generic leadership that we see in the world. Um, and I think that the distinction, as with all the spiritual gifts, like I mentioned at the very beginning, um, is that it is for the purpose of building up the church. So spiritual gifts are given to us to build up the church. So on some level, you know, if you post this sermon on YouTube, it's not something that's going to be applicable to the entire world because the entire world's mission is not to be building up the church. The church's mission is to be building up the church. Does that make sense? So this is not a, a webinar seminar that, you know, is, is endorsed by UMass on leadership. This is specifically for the saints of Christ within the church. And, and when we see it in the world, the, the purpose might be 
very varied. So it could be to increase profits or, or increase productivity or, or to accomplish some sort of goal, whether it be military um, or economic or, or, or structural goal or, or whatever it is. Um, leadership in the world serves a lot of different purposes. It, it could be as simple as coming back from a 28 to 3, uh, you know, deficit at halftime and coming back to win a game. I think that, that is a form of worldly leadership that was done very excellently, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about this morning. So have that as a frame of reference. When we're talking about leadership this morning, it's not uh, necessarily, okay, how do I go and lead a football team or how do I go and do these? This is specifically in the context of building God's church. Um, so as we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, what we're going to do is we'll see a glimpse of what that actually looks like and how it plays out. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians 4. It's also going to be behind me. Oh, it's already there behind me. And, and while you're getting there, as you're flipping your phones there, I want to give you a little bit of context. Um, the letter of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul, uh, and, and he's actually in a prison. Uh, most commentators agree that he's writing from prison, uh, and he's writing to a church that is in Ephesus, or the church at Ephesus. And what's important to know about Ephesus is that it's, it's a major city in the Roman Empire. Um, spiritually, the culture of Ephesus, it, it's heavily entrenched uh, in the worshiping of different deities and gods, um, so much so that it, it pretty much is the basis of their economy, is uh, profiting off of uh, giving things that would help in the worship of different deities and gods. Um, so when, when Paul was there last, after uh, or before writing this letter. When he was there last, he stayed with Ephesus for three years, um, building up the church, being a church planner there. And while he was there, some pretty crazy things happened. So if you read through, uh, this is going to be in Acts 19, if you want to read it on your own, but I want to give you a quick recap. Um, Paul shows up, and there are 12 disciples of, of, of John the Baptist there um, who actually weren't baptized, which I think is a little funny. But they weren't baptized, and Paul says, have you been baptized? And they say, no. And so Paul baptizes them, gathers them together for what is probably the first house church group of believers in Ephesus. And what he does is he starts sharing the gospel at the synagogue. He beelines it to the synagogue because he knows the Jews. He himself is a Jew, so he goes to the place where he's probably most comfortable, and he starts preaching the gospel of Jesus to the Jews. The Jews want nothing of it. So eventually he's like, okay, this is not where, this, this is kind of vain, uh, in vain. These people are kind of just not listening. Their hearts are hardened. So I'm, I'm going to go and preach to people um, outside of the synagogue. So what he does is he goes to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus, uh, which was a public forum for lecturing. Um, we don't really have things like this. It would be like a TED Talk, right? So like, imagine TED Talk, but open 24 hours a day, and people could come and listen to whatever you have to say. Um, and Scripture says in Acts, in Acts chapter 19, 8 through 10, that uh, Paul would go there every single day for two years so that, and this is the quote uh, from Scripture, all who lived in the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. That's a lot of preaching. That is a lot of preaching every single day so that every single person in this province would be able to hear the word of the Lord. I think sometimes when you read through Acts, it's like a highlight reel that happens so fast, right? Um, and it seems to just happen so fast and so consecutively that you can kind of cruise through it in an afternoon and, and, and miss out on the little details, like the fact that Paul was there doing this every single day for two years. Two years, that's a long time to be doing something every single day. 
And I think it shows just the glimpse of the fact that Paul is not a great church leader in clutch moments, right, the miraculous moments, uh, but the majority of his ministry is in the daily faithfulness of laboring to preach and proclaim the gospel to the people around him. That's just like a little side note, but I think that's really cool to see. Um, but for Paul, it wasn't just daily TED Talks. He wasn't just showing up, lecturing, and then going home. Um, some pretty exciting Crazy things happened while he was there. Um, it talks about in, in chapter 19, verse 11, that he performed extraordinary miracles so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his body were brought to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. That's pretty crazy. So then you've got the incident during this time with the sons of Sceva. So if you've never read about the sons of Sceva in chapter 19 of Acts, you need to go read it this afternoon. I highly encourage you to check it out because it's a pretty crazy story. You've got this group of seven Jewish brothers who are going around looking for people possessed uh, by demons, kind of like first century Ghostbusters or something like that. And they actually find someone uh, who is possessed by demons, and, and the one man who is possessed by demons ends up beating them up so badly that it says, quote, this is scripture, that they fled naked and wounded. Okay, so not a good day for these seven men. Pretty crazy things happening in Ephesus. And, and I'm not making this up. It's all in chapter 19. Uh, Paul would lead sorcerers, people who are trying to conjure the magical spiritual arts um, to faith in, in a very dramatic fashion. So when they come to faith, they, they start professing and confessing their sin uh, publicly to all the people around them, and they take all of their magical books and they start a giant bonfire in the center of the city. Um, the gospel impacts Ephesus so deeply that it actually disrupts the, the economic infrastructure as these new believers, believers are becoming so numerous um, that their refusal to participate in the worshiping of gods and deities around them shuts down the economy of this major city. So it culminates in this citywide riot as all these business owners get together and say, hey, this is not good. Our businesses are going to go out of business because of this gospel that's coming and transforming everyone's hearts. And then Paul, right, at like the peak of this moment, is like, all right, the church is planted. Looks like everything's working as it should. I'm going to go plant the church elsewhere. And that's where he leaves Ephesus. Now, I give you this context because um, we need to know that, that this is the, the church that Paul is writing to when he talks about leadership. It, it's not a small, quiet church that's kind of peacefully sitting around in a circle, singing songs until Jesus comes back. No, this is a church that's in the thick of it. They're building God's kingdom in an incredibly hostile environment. They're facing threats of death and persecution on almost a daily basis as they share the gospel with their pagan neighbors. Um, they, they're actively gathering, being built up, but then, but then going out and living missionally among the community around them. This is who Paul is talking to uh, when he's talking about the spiritual gift of leadership. And, and Paul's words are being relied on here. Um, in such a way that they are crucial for the survival of the church at Ephesus. So that's the context of what Paul is um, speaking into leadership with. So jump down to verse 11 with me. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is, doing, is, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in this part of the letter, Paul outlines uh, five specific leadership, I'm sorry, four specific leadership roles um, that Jesus establishes for the church. Um, he talks about how the roles function, how they're meant to function, and then he describes uh, what it should look like if they're doing it correctly. And so you've got apostles, you've got prophets, you've got evangelists, and you've got shepherd teachers. And so these are not five, um, these are not five, these are actually four, so the last two there are kind of combined together. Most commentators would refer uh, these as one office of shepherd slash teacher or um, yeah, shepherd slash teacher, and so we'll talk about how these roles play out. And, and as we're looking at the spiritual gift of leadership, these specific roles are how they're going to play out depending on how God has gifted each individual person. Um, and so these are not um, f- four different facets of one leader that in order to be a leader, you need to have all of these, you need to be all of these. I think sometimes when people are especially gifted, you will see tendencies and leanings toward multiple um, roles and offices being played out. Uh, but for us, this is, this is helpful for us to understand how God has designed leadership within the church. Um, so this is very similar to, um, and as we start talking about the spiritual gifts, um, they're going to start overlapping a little bit. We've already talked about uh, prophecy, and prophet is one of the spiritual leadership roles. We've already talked about teaching as well. Um, But it's going to play out differently when they're in the context of a leader. So similar to how everyone on a hockey team can play hockey, right? They all have the the skill of playing hockey. Um, On top of that, in addition to that, there's also people who are designated as captains of the team. So this is similar to that, not a perfect analogy, but that's kind of what we're dealing with this morning. So let me quickly describe the four offices of church leadership, um, and we'll go from there. So the first one Paul talks about is the apostle, apostleship. Uh, We have apostles like Paul um, and the other 12 original disciples who were ordained by Jesus himself to speak on behalf of God with God's authority. Uh, these are capital A apostles, right? That's a way to distinguish them as being different. But, but they're considered, um, their, their letters and their words are considered scripture and, and the word of God. Um, and that's not necessarily what we're talking about when we're talking about the gift of apostleship. Um, you have little a apostles whom God calls to be what, what we might today call like frontier missionaries or people who are called to go to places and contexts where the gospel uh, really has never been preached before. 
um, and where there is no established church. So in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to have a church planner here named Timothy Robinson, um, and he's going to preach a sermon specifically on the gift of apostleship. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but generally when you look at the gift of apostleship, um, these are going to be people with um, kind of an entrepreneurial tendency. They're going to be people who are spiritual starters uh, that initiate a Bible study on a campus or at a workplace where there isn't already one. Um, and then those people are also going to see that it, that it grows and that it multiplies. And if that's the case for you, if that's something that, that your heart leaning, is leaning toward, you might have that apostleship gifting. But again, we'll, we'll talk more about that in-depthly in a couple weeks. The second one that Paul mentions um, here is the prophet, the prophet leader. Uh, prof, uh, prophet is, is a pretty loaded word today uh, in our culture, um, but prophet leaders in today's context, and as we're looking at it here, um, they don't speak with the same authority as we see in the first century and before. So in, in Ephesians 2.20, if you read a little bit before this, um, you would see that Paul articulates that at the foundation of the earth, um, God had given apostles and prophets to, to lay the foundation for the church at the beginning, um, but that those were special, specially ordained people for that time. And so as we talk about prophets today, um, they don't necessarily speak in like a predictive, future-telling way. I think that they can, and we had a sermon on prophecy, which you can look up online to learn a little bit more specifically about the gift of prophecy. Um, but prophet leaders are, are, I think, characterized by having just a highly calibrated um, spiritual compass. And the spiritual compass helps orient them and those around them um, to the biblical foundation of the gospel. So essentially, they have a heightened, like, Holy Spirit sense for, for what is true and what is biblical, and, and what aligns to the character and nature of God and His story of redemption as it's revealed in Scripture. And while we're all called um, to measure our thoughts and our decisions through the lens of the gospel, I think that prophet leaders are, are just more naturally sensitive to this. They'll be drawn to what is uh, biblically righteous and moral and, and can provide guidance weighted more toward their understanding of who God is as God is revealed in Scripture as opposed to their own experiences, um, their own wisdom, or just their own opinions. I think that uh, prophet leaders can also be vision casters, calling people to what God would want for their lives, um, the lives of individuals, and, and also as a church as a whole. And that is based not just on their imagination, but based on who they know to be God is, again, as he's revealed in Scripture. So those are those prophet leaders. Um, you might have the prophet leadership gifting if you've been told maybe that you tell it like it is when, when it's concerning spiritual matters. Um, you might have the gifting if really you rarely struggle with knowing what's right and what's wrong, again, based not on your own personal moral compass, but specifically um, on biblical doctrines and theology. Uh, prophets might, maybe, in retrospect, if you have a friend like this, uh, it, it, it might seem that they speak uh, predictively, but in retrospect, looking at the situation as a whole, um, you, you can kind of see that they just can see biblical realities um, similar to how the Old Testament 
prophets would say, hey, this isn't going to end well for us. This isn't going to, the trajectory that we're going is not good. And people are like, what are you talking about? You're a crazy prophet. But the prophet is, he's not like telling a crazy specific uh, future, right? He's not looking at an orb. I think some of that is understanding the nature of who God is, what has happened in the past when people have gone off the tracks and what's going to happen similar to those other experiences. Does that make sense? So sometimes it might seem like they're speaking predictively, but really they just have that heightened sense to how God operates. So those are the prophet leaders. The third one that Paul mentions are the evangelists. Evangelists are pretty straightforward. They are especially gifted in preaching and communicating the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, And again, as with all spiritual gifts, being able to communicate the gospel is a responsibility that we all, as believers um, who follow Jesus, have. Um, we've all received the, the commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And we, we received that collectively, all of us. But I think that evangelists, um, people with this gifting, are just going to be more naturally drawn to it, um, almost instinctually. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily better at communicating the gospel. They might be more effective at it. But I think that specifically, um, they're always going to be thinking about how small talk can get to the gospel. And if you're an evangelist, if you've got that gifting, you know what I'm talking about. Like when you're talking to a person who doesn't know Jesus, um, small talk has a purpose. There's a trajectory for the conversation. Um, Evangelists feel the urgency of sharing the gospel uh, more so than those without the gifting. And so being gifted as an evangelist doesn't, mean, uh, doesn't just mean standing up and, and preaching at an open forum, right? Uh, standing up on the corner or with a bullhorn uh, at UMass. It can. It can look like that. But I think that evangelists look for any opportunity to talk about Jesus, whether it's in front of a thousand people if they're given the opportunity or just while in line at Starbucks talking to one person. That's the evangelist leader. Then you've got pastor teachers. Um, or shepherd teachers, uh, and, and really these are the people who are going to be using that, that teaching gift that Dan talked about um, a couple weeks ago um, with the purpose of pastoring and shepherding a flock of believers. Um, so pastors are going to be especially drawn to the care um, and nurturing of the church community um, and really excel at training and equipping people. And that's probably the one that we are most familiar with as a church the pastor-teacher. And so I think that when we take a step back after looking at all those four, I I think that they all have a specific role in the church. And I think the image that we have is when the whole church is together like this, uh, pastor-teachers are going to be leading here at home. So they're going to be doing the bulk of the work, training, equipping, pastoring, shepherding the flock collectively here. Um, You've got prophet leaders who are also in the mix, but they're a little bit more focused about, okay, how are we doing theologically? Are we in line with doctrine? Um, Where should our church be growing? What what does biblical growth for our church look like? And so they're going to be helping the pastor shepherd cast vision for not just themselves, but for the church as a whole to be moving the church where it should be and to be keeping it looking the way that it should look biblically. You've got the evangelist leaders who are probably training uh, outreach teams, right? So they're like on the doorstep, right, of the church, and they're inviting people to come in, they're talking to people, and, and they're very invested in relationships that are outside of the church and training and, equip- and equipping others who have a similar evangelistic bent in their hearts. Uh, and then you've got apostles who are just like 
out there, right? And so what I mean by out there is they're the people who are the church planners, like Robert Crumry, who came to this place ten, over 10 years ago. How many years ago now? How old is Mercy House? 18, wow. Almost two decades ago, came here, uh, not a lot of churches, in a, in a relatively unreached group of people, started something from scratch, um, and, and so you have apostles coming in and doing that. But when apostles are younger and don't have the calling to do church planting, I think you're going to see them um, just being very strategic about starting Bible studies on campuses, at workplaces, contexts outside of the church or, or, or environments where there are a lot of believers around them. Does that make sense? You see how all those four, very different, all are leaders. And so those are the four offices of leadership that Paul puts on the table as he's talking about leadership. Um, It's not incredibly rigid. Like I mentioned, um, if you're one type of leader, it doesn't exempt you from being the other types. I think that we have lots of gifted leaders in our church that might exemplify a lot of these different types um, of leadership. Um, and especially as a church planner, I think if you spent any time with Robert, you can see, okay, well, he's, he's our shepherd, pastor, teacher, but he's also a vision caster, and he did start this from scratch. And so I think that God does give, um, like it says earlier in Ephesians, a, a, a different proportion of giftings to different people depending on God's grace toward them. And so you're not exempt from the others if you have one of these giftings. And it's also true that you don't need an official title or an office in order to exercise the gift of leadership. So at Mercy House, I think the official office of leadership that we have is an elder, which is mostly characterized by pastor-teacher. Mostly. Um, that's not to say that the elders don't have other leanings, but that's kind of the office of elder um, in a nutshell. Uh, but our elders like I mentioned, are, are not isolated to just teaching and preaching. They're, they're doing all of these things for the building up of the church. Um, so it, it also doesn't mean that just because you and I are not official elders here at Mercy House uh, that we can't exercise our giftings of leadership. So these distinctive roles, they're not like eternally binding um, They just help us organize and understand how certain leaders are built, how they work together, um, and how they can lead different aspects of the body, okay? So now, um, how do I know if I have the gift of leadership? How do I know? Is it just like if I have tons of followers, if I'm, you know, I'm really good at getting people together? I think in these verses, we can actually see eight, yeah, eight Eight things that people in church, uh, in the church with the spiritual gift of leadership do. These are things that they do, kind of fruit that comes out of their life, and a lot of these aren't super um, purposeful. It it just kind of happens around them. And and it's not because it's their job um, or part of their official responsibilities, but just as a natural expression of who they are as redeemed followers of Christ, specifically in how they're built by God. Leaders are going to lead regardless of having an office or a title. So the first one we see in verse 12 here, um, leaders are going to equip others for ministry. Leaders are going to equip others for ministry. Another way to phrase this would be that leaders equip others around them to live on mission for Christ. So this often involves practical instruction um, and teaching on how to live missionally, live, living in a context where your life is an expression of your faith and you're reaching people who are lost. Um, and I think that it often involves answering questions of those around you like these. How do I pray for other people? I think this is a good question. 
How do I pray for my coworker? How do I pray for my friend? Um, how do I share my testimony? Okay, this might be a question that a leader could answer. What, what are different ways of sharing the gospel? Um, how do I start and lead a Bible study? How, how do I talk to my gay coworker about Jesus? How do I talk to my friend about the problem of evil? How can I walk my friend through an abortion? Um, how do I tell my kids about Jesus? Leaders are naturally drawn to helping others around them answer these questions. And sometimes the equipping can be drawn from their personal experience or knowledge or wisdom, and other times it, it might be that the leader um, learns about something just in order to teach or equip them. Uh, leaders are, are able to see uh, what their small group, uh, if they're a part of a small group, is lacking in terms of being on mission, and, and they just can't help themselves from stepping up and doing their best to help equip the people in their small group. Um, whether they're the leader of the small group or not, whether they're just in a one-on-one -on -one context, that's just what they're drawn to do. It doesn't mean that leaders have all the answers, um, but leaders get excited and excel at teaching and equipping others um, to live out their faith fruitfully. I think that's a mark of a leader that we see here. Um, the second one is that leaders build up the church body. Leaders build up the church body. We see this in verse 12. Uh, leaders not only equip others for ministry and living missionally outwardly and, and reaching the lost, uh, but also are drawn to nurturing the spiritual health of others around them in the context of the church. And leaders are not just outwardly focused on growing um, the church in breadth, but are also um, specifically looking for ways to grow it in depth as well. Um, building up the body here is referring to the church as a whole. And so I think that leaders often have a perspective on how um, a group of people are doing, um, and they strive to see that group strengthened as a whole. The third one in verse 13 that we see is uh, leaders are going to unite the church body. They're going to unite the church body. Uh, leaders are catalysts of unity. Um, they're gatherers. They're not dividers. Um, they have... They have the, and it's sometimes annoying, uh, they have the knack of trying to include everyone um, and can be especially gifted at gathering people together. So whether that's for a Bible study, for a small group, or just a birthday party. Um, and that doesn't mean that, that those with the spiritual gift of leadership are always popular or at the center of these gatherings, uh, but they have a foundational understanding of God's design for community, and, and they do what they can everything that they can to encourage and promote community. And, and they're really excited to see it happen. Um, and so it doesn't mean that a leader has to be an extrovert or in front of all the people, but they get excited about gathering people together. The fourth one uh, we see, verse 13, uh, leaders are going to help others towards spiritual maturity, specifically in intimacy, growing in intimacy with God. Um, leaders help others grow in their faith um, and in intimacy with God. And this is a step beyond just equipping with a practical knowledge um, of theological truths and how we live out our faith on a day-to-day -day basis. But there's a level of discipleship and investment that people with the gift of leadership are compelled toward. Um, and the goal of this is seeing that others would be mature, uh, growing in maturity, in their personal relationships with God and growing in intimacy with Jesus. So people with the gift of leadership are, are concerned about how you're doing spiritually um, and will probably just straight up ask you, how are you doing? 
How are you doing spiritually? What are, th- what are some things that you're learning about? What are you reading these days? What are, you, what are you struggling with? How can I be praying for you? I think that these are some of the marks of a spiritual leader. Number five, leaders model and help develop spiritual maturity in the face of worldly challenges. Um, and so we, we see this specifically in verse 14, that leaders model what it looks like to have a solid foundation in Christ so that they are not tossed to and fro as they're hit by the storms of life. So whether those storms are tragedies, uh, false teachers, opposing worldviews, or just fleshy temptations, um, leaders model what it looks like to build their house on the immovable rock of Christ, and they encourage others, they help others around them do the same. Um, Leaders not only model this, uh, but have a natural tendency, I think, to pull people um, under that as well for them. Um, And so in times of trouble, um, I think that there's just a willingness to be an anchor for other people who are experiencing storms. So if there's a person in your life um, that you run to when stuff's going down, uh, whether it's for wisdom, for prayer, maybe just for support, or just that feeling of safety, that person probably has the gift of leadership. Um, And if you find people running to you for wisdom, for prayer, for support, and safety when stuff's going down in their life, and you're wondering, like, why are you coming to me, Um, then you probably have the gift of leadership on some level. The sixth one we see is in verse 15. Uh, Leaders speak truth with love. Leaders speak truth with love. Those with the spiritual gift of leadership are characterized by their love of other believers. They exemplify John 13, 35, where Jesus says that we'll be known as his disciples for the love that we have for one another. Um, And this love that we have for one another is the context for which any truth speaking is done by the leader. So leaders never speak truth out of pride, out of jealousy, out of bitterness, malice, Um, Leaders won't shy away from speaking truth, whether it's in front of the church in a teaching context like this or a one-on-one with a brother or sister in Christ, um, but it will always be motivated and tempered by their love for the person they're speaking to. Number seven, um, leaders model and lead others to be more like Christ. See this in verse 15. Leaders model Christ They model Christ and encourage others to grow more and more like Christ themselves. Um, I think this is one of the ones where the rubber meets the road. Um, Those with the spiritual gift of leadership are not just telling those around them how they ought to be more like Christ, but they're actually living it out as an example themselves. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, um, he calls the church at Corinth to be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And so leaders inside and outside of the church um, are always going to have role models or inspirations um, that they're striving to be like as leaders. But for biblical leaders, exercising the spiritual gift of leadership, the ultimate role model and inspiration um, is always Christ himself. It's always Christ. And that's going to be apparent to the people that they lead. It's just going to be clear. It's going to be clear who they're drawing their inspiration from, who they're trying to model um, as a leader um, in the context of the church. Number eight, this is the last one. See this in verse 16. Um, Leaders are going to make the church body more effective. They're going to make the church body more effective. 
And so the image that Paul uses in verse 16 um, is that of leaders contributing to the equipping of each member of the body so that the body collectively works properly and effectively. And this is not in a way that is independent of God's grace as he empowers us, empowers you and I um, to be effective for God's purposes. Uh, But when leaders are doing what they're gifted in doing, their leadership is a means by which God can increase the effectiveness of a body of believers. And so as people are being equipped, um, as the church is being built up, as believers are united together and and having their efforts coordinated together, um, as people are leading, um, being led toward spiritual maturity in their relationships with Christ, as their foundation in Christ is further solidified, as as people have truth spoken to them out of a place of love, as people are encouraged to be more like Christ and given a tangible example for what that looks like, when you have a group of people, the church being led in all of those ways, what you get is an incredibly effective body of Christ that is fit to be used by God to build his kingdom. That's the vision of leadership and, and the purpose that it serves. It's not, as we talk about leadership, it's not um, a charismatic dictator, right? We, we, one of the exercises that we have, um, I'm a part of a uh, leadership development program for high school juniors, and so one of the first exercises we do with, with each year's class is we sit them down and we ask them, what do you think a leader is? And so we use the whiteboard and, and we put down everything that they say, and there's a lot of crazy stuff that they write down, lots of good stuff too, uh, but there's lots of adjectives that you'll put up there. And I think that the world's per- perception of a leader is very specific on a strong, powerful dictator who knows what he or she wants and gets it done. That's kind of what I see every single year when we ask high school juniors what a leader looks like. Um, but as we look at this, sir, that, at this text, that's not the biblical leader that, that Paul is laying out for, for the Ephesians. Um, it, it's, not, it's not that charismatic dictator. It's not a glory-seeking rock star, not a worldly-driven overseer with lots of power and authority. Um, those with the spiritual gift of leadership, they have their hearts focused on, um, their efforts zeroed in on one thing, and that's the building up of the body of believers. That's the focus. This is what God, the, the God-ordained office of leader looks like within the church. And so, as a note, um, you don't need to exhibit all eight of these um, to be a leader or, or to have the gift of leadership. I think that this is a trajectory and goal for how it plays out in the long term as you spend years practicing that gift, growing in that gift. Um, I want to also notice that none of these have numbers of followers associated with them. And so I, I don't think that we should be caught up on, well, th- this idea of, well, I don't have many people who are following me, so I must not be a leader. Um, leaders are going to lead. They're going to exhibit these eight fruits, some of these eight fruits, regardless of how many people are following them and, and regardless of whether or not they have an official office um, or title. So if you, if you think, what, hap- what do you do if you think that you have the gift of leadership? Where do you go from here? Um, I think that you talk to a leader in our church. Um, I think that you go straight up to Robert after the sermon today 
And as humbly as you can, you say, uh, based on Ephesians 4, I think that I might have the gift of leadership. I see some of this fruit in my own life. Um, and, and part of the gifting of being a leader that Robert has is being able to identify giftings um, and equip people for their ministry and figuring out how to build you up. A lot of this is already going to happen. So if you have any inch of leadership in you um, and you've been going to Mercy House for maybe three or four, enough, enough time for the pastors to see you, they probably already asked you to lead something. Whether it's helping co-lead a Bible study or, or being a part of the, the, the design as leaders in the church is that they are identifying the giftings of people and building them up. But you might not know them that well. They might not know you that well. So if that's the case, I would encourage you to, to make that aware to the leaders like Robert um, and the other elders. Um, and, and part of their role as leaders is to find where you're going to fit um, the best. And I think that uh, you probably are not going to be made an elder tomorrow. I don't know, maybe. Um, but Robert and the other elders, the, their role, like I mentioned, is, is to shepherd you to be an effective member of the body um, using the gifts that God has given to you. So if you think you're a leader uh, and maybe you don't see any of these things in your life and you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm a leader, but none of these things um, are happening in my life. Well, it might be because you're gifted as a leader, but you've never been equipped or given the opportunity to do it um, in the context of the church body. Or maybe you're just not doing it with other believers, but you're doing it, it on your sports team or um, at your workplace or in the military or whatever, and, and you haven't seen um, the fruit of that gifting being, play, uh, being shown in the context of the church. And if that's the case, I think same thing. Grab a pastor and say, hey, um, I think I'm gifted in leadership. Um, I do have some experience in leadership, and I'd love to use it in the context of the church. Um, I think that our call is to do this with any of the spiritual gifts. So as we go through the spiritual gifts this summer, if we're talking about some, you're like, wow, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I do see some of that in my life. You need to tell somebody. Tell somebody, hey, I, I think that I'm gifted in this. How can I use it? And that will start the trajectory of you being able to build up the church with the gift that God has given to you. And, and that's the way the spiritual gifts work. And I think you'll hear that every Sunday as each spiritual gift is spoken about. There's going to be an encouragement to, hey, live out your gifting. Lift out your, live out your, your calling. Um, do what you're made to do. And it's not just because, um, you know, we want a more effective church and we want to grow in numbers, uh, but it's, it's the way that you're made. It's the calling that's on your life, um, and, and that's where the joy and excitement um, of living in relationship with God, that's where it comes from, is living out your calling and your gifting. So, um, if you are a leader, right, if, if you're sitting here and, and you are a leader, specifically in the context of the church, um, now what do you do? Uh, I'll speak personally here. Um, I've, I've always been a leader, um, and I say that as humbly as I can, um, having gone through seasons where it is my identity um, and I've used it to puff myself up and, and, and have self-worth. Um, and I've gone through seasons where I've desperately tried to get away from being a leader and done everything I can to sit in the back and, and not be in front of people, not interacting with people on a leader level, even like on a one-on-one -on -one basis. But I, I continue to be just drawn back into it. And, and I think that um, for me, in my experience, leadership is less of a skill and, and more of a reflex. 
And I think, yes, you can develop the gifting, uh, but I think it starts as a reflexive response in situations that call for leadership. Again, it doesn't always mean you're standing up in a group of people saying, hey, let's all go over here. But I think in one-on-one settings, when there is um, a doubt of what to do next, you might be reflexively uh, responding to that vacuum and saying, hey, let's go over here. Hey, let's do this. Oh, you have a need? Well, let's try to figure out how to do that. I think it starts reflexively um, like that. Um, at least that's how it's been in my life. Um, I've, ever since third grade, I remember in third grade, um, I led a strike in gym class at Potter Road Elementary uh, School because I thought it was absurd that our gym teacher wouldn't allow us to run during gym class when we played games, right? That was like my first injustice that I fought in the third grade. But I remember it distinctly. I remember seeing the injustice, being very upset by it, and then thinking, someone's got to do something. And then I gathered some of my friends together and said, hey, this, this isn't fair. We, we should be able to run. We're kids, right? I was like talking sense into myself and these kids. And the kids were like, yeah, I, I think you're right. What can we do about it? I was like, well, tomorrow when we start playing dodgeball, let's just not play. Let's just sit. Now, this isn't like a glorious, righteous form of leadership, right? But at a very early age, in third grade, I, I can look back and remember, oh, wow. That's a weird thing for a third grader to do, to organize a strike. And so for me, leadership has been that reflexive response to a situation. And so think about, for you, if you're a leader, do you have these reflexive responses um, when there is leadership that is needed? And so growing as a leader has been a long journey for me, um, and I think it would be true for any person who is a leader. And and what they'd say, um, what I would say to anybody who is a leader or who is starting the path of becoming a leader um, is that you need to be prepared to be humbled. You need to be prepared to be humbled. Um, I think the name of the game in my experience has been it's either be humbled or go down crashing in flames and then get humbled that way, right? So there's like, it's just like the game of humility. Um, God loves his church. God loves his church. He gave his life for the church. The church is, is described as the bride of Christ. And so in this context, um, when he allows people to be leaders of his church, he's giving us as leaders the chance to lead his church. This is this is pretty absurd. What I mean by this is uh, it's under his ultimate authority and command, of course, uh, but you can imagine the zeal and jealousness he has for us as his church and the humility, the humility it would take um, to let broken, sinful people help lead his church. And in relation to God the Father, uh, leaders are given the opportunity to help lead his children. Right? So I have a daughter. She's almost two. Um, I'm going to be very highly scrutinous. Is that a word? I'm going to be very uh, overprotective. We'll just use that word. Of anybody who has authority over my two-year-old, right? Not that I'll never let anybody have authority over her. I'm not going to, we're not going to just homeschool. I don't know. We haven't talked about homeschooling yet. Probably shouldn't use that as an example. I'm not going to completely protect her, protect her from the world, and not let her interact with the world, but you can imagine my zeal as a father, a jealousness as a father, as I see other people um, leading, shepherding my daughter. I'm going to be very vigilant. This is the same with God the Father as leaders step in to fulfill roles of leadership. 
That's incredibly humbling, uh, a humbling reality as a leader, uh, but it should also bring peace to those who are following under godly leaders. God is not the type of husband or father who would leave his bride or his uh, children unchecked for the weekend with somebody else. That's not who God is. He is a passionately loving, caring, jealous God, which means that leaders who are loved by God are, are going to be humbled and sanctified as God protects his church. But that doesn't mean um, that broken leadership doesn't exist. And very quickly, I want to talk about four of the most common forms of broken leadership, um, and I'm sure that there are more. Uh, the first one, broken leadership happens when leading is about making much of the leader and not God. Um, a healthy Christian leader is going to be a mirror that points to the glory of God. When a leader uh, makes it about themselves, that mirror is no longer pointing toward God. Um, and in that process, they are absorbing the glory for themselves, getting puffed up with pride, and feeling good about the power and authority that they themselves have. Um, they are not being a leader in the way that God designed them to be. A leader's identity has to be rooted in Christ. It, it cannot be rooted in what other people think of them as a leader. When we are trying to absorb glory, the purpose of that um, is to define ourselves as a leader in the context of, of leadership. Um, if that's the case, leadership then becomes a stifling prison that's, that's filled with anxiety and insecurities um, as opposed to being a freeing experience of serving God with the gifts that he's given us. Um, so I think that if you're in this place, um, then the way that we repent is that we begin giving glory to God, that, that we live out our calling to be mirrors um, pointing to the glory of God instead of taking the glory for ourselves. Um, I think that you, it is crucial that we find our security and our identity um, in what God thinks about us or else it's going to be derived in what people think of us and that is a crushing place um, to be in. The second way that leadership is broken or, or unhealthy is when um, the goal uh, is more important than the people, when the goal is more important than the people. So effectiveness is important, uh, but not at the expense of the members of the body. It, it doesn't mean that the goal has to be a bad or evil one, um, but leadership is broken and unhealthy when the ends justify the means. That at all costs, we need to get over here regardless of who makes it along or who gets left behind. John Piper uh, is a theologian and pastor, and he defines spiritual leadership as using God's methods to get his people where he wants them in reliance on his power. So fruitful, healthy leadership is not just about knowing the destination of where people need to go, but by walking alongside people as they get there. Number three, uh, leadership is broken and, unhealth, un, and unhealthy when it's done, um, I'm sorry, when it's not done in dependence of God's grace. So when we don't rely on God to empower whatever spiritual gift we're using, um, we get exhausted, we get burnt out, we become bitter, and we become resentful. So going back to the whole theme of uh, the spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts are given to us by God. They're empowered by God to build the kingdom of God. So when we try to empower our spiritual gifts with coffee, Red Bull, or just the good old white knuckle to get through, something like that, we're not practicing them the way that God designed them to be used. And, and we probably aren't seeing the fruit that would come out of them um, unless we were relying on God to sustain the gift. 
So number four, last one, um, when leadership is done in isolation. Um, Leadership is broken when it's done as a one-man or one-woman show. Even in this passage, we see Paul outlining a system that includes a plurality of leaders. He's not just talking about one, but he describes four. And it's not a mystical combination like earth, fire, wind, and water, right? There's nothing special about the combination of them, but I think that it's practical wisdom when you consider uh, the burden of leadership and what uh, leaders have to carry, um, but also just the variedness of what's required. Every human, regardless um, of how gifted they are, are going to have blind spots, areas of their lives um, as they're leading others or, or interacting with others that they just can't see. And this isn't just because of a direct result from sin, but I think that this is a part of God's design for humans to live and operate within community, with other people. Um, a plurality of leaders allows for accountability, it allows for specialization, um, and it just uh, provides a greater effectiveness overall. It, it requires a humility by the leader, even on a one-to-one, uh, on a one-on-one level. And so as a leader, as a young leader, you might love equipping those around you and being that go-to person for whatever training or, 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 or equipping that you can do for those people. But if you're asked a question that you don't know the answer to, um, would you humbly be humble enough to direct them towards someone who does? And I think that leadership begins to be broken if the answer is no. I, I want to figure it out myself. And that goes back to the first brokenness where leadership is about you and making much of you as opposed to making much of God. Those are a few ways that leadership can be broken. So to finish up, um, leadership can come with a lot of baggage, uh, both on the leading end um, and also in the submitting under leadership as well. And Paul lays out for us here uh, what effective Christ-centered spiritual leadership looks like, um, but how do we, how do we get there? What, what's, the, what's the heart condition that's required to get to that place? So let's skip back to the beginning of chapter 4 here. Starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul here is addressing the whole church at Ephesus. He, he's not just addressing the leaders. And he's exhorting everyone to walk in a gospel posture. Um, and this posture is to be had whether you are a leader or not a leader. Whether um, you have the gift of service or the gift of prophecy. Whether it's the, the gift of mercy or of teaching. Whether you're a hand or a foot or a mouthpiece or the eye in the body um, of the church. The, the, the gospel posture is one that is one of humility, one of gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in that bond of peace. As a leader, this means um, leading humbly as a servant and not a boss. Uh, it means leading with gentleness and tenderness, knowing that you're leading God's beloved bride and, 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 and children. It means leading with patience knowing that sanctification and spiritual maturity um, is a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint 
that's accomplished in a week. It means leading with love and caring deeply for the souls of those you lead. It means leading with an eagerness to maintain unity within the church. As a follower, as we look at this, I think it means following humbly under your leaders as Jesus humbled himself under the authority of the Father. It means responding with gentleness when your leaders mess up or just do a poor job at leading. It means following with patience as your leaders um, get sanctified and mature in their calling over time. It means following your leaders uh, with love, knowing that their, their job isn't easy and looking for ways to serve them as they serve you. And it, and it means being eager to see the body united, even if challenges come that would threaten to divide or separate the body. So broken leadership, broken leadership has produced the greatest uh, atrocities in human history. And I think that that's just a reality that, that we face. Um, but the reason for that brokenness um, is because of sin, which broke the original design of leadership. Um, but there's one man, Jesus Christ, who brings redemption to all things, including the gift of leadership. And redeemed leadership is an awesome gospel-proclaiming gift. And so on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. I mentioned before that I um, lead, uh, help lead a uh, leadership development program for high school juniors. And the program that we go through for leadership is called Servant Leadership. And our role model um, is not any of the people that they list at the beginning of the program, but it's Jesus. And you, you can imagine the, the, the variedness of leaders that they list uh, down on that board when we talk about who are leaders in your life, in the world today. And so we follow the blueprint for leadership, not by any of those people, but specifically of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about why, and you're explaining to these high school juniors, why are we following Jesus uh, and his example of leadership, and not any of these other people who are fantastic, great leaders. Um, and that's demonstrated here when we take communion. Uh, Jesus himself demonstrates leadership, uh, and when he talks about greatness, it's not what the world's conception of what leadership and greatness looks like, which is how many people do I have, how many people can I gather to serve me? But Jesus talks about greatness as how many people can I be servant of? And that's what it looks like to be a servant leader. But what's awesome is that Jesus doesn't just demonstrate what it means to be a leader in a perfect way. So those eight uh, fruits of being a spiritual leader, Jesus lives those out in complete perfection. But it's not just leadership that he demonstrates, it's following as well. And there's no other place that's better representative of, of his following than before the cross as he gives his life um, in full submission to the Father and the will of the Father um, for the love of his church, all of us. So as we take communion this morning, um, the way that we do it is you come down the center aisle and people are going to pass you the communion and you're just going to come around the outside wings and, and back to your seats and you can take it um, at your own timing and we'll have some music going. Um, I think that I would encourage those who have the, the call of leadership, that reflexive response to fill the void when, when, when leadership is required um, and maybe you're, you're just thrusted into positions of leadership right now. If you're in that place, your model for leadership has to be Christ. 
It has to be Christ, um, not just because this is a church and we wouldn't be saying anything else, but because in the cross, through his life, in his ministry, Jesus demonstrates that he is the best leader possible, and that's what we want to be like. If you're not a leader um, and if you have baggage, when we talk about submission under authority and that just like irks you, I think that the challenge for us this morning and the encouragement is as we take communion, as we submit under the Father, we pray that God would be softening our hearts and allowing us um, to come to a place where, where we can submit, not blindly, um, not without discernment, um, but in a place of trusting our church leaders uh, that they are submitting to the Father as we submit under them. So let me pray for us, and the band's going to come back up, and we'll take communion. God, I thank you for uh, being our leader. I thank you that you demonstrate um, leadership in a way that that just kind of breaks the broken views of leadership that we experience and see in our world today, God. Thank you for redeeming leadership um, so that it's possible here in our church. God, I pray for the leaders of our church. Um, I pray for the, the leaders um, who are sitting here who aren't leaders of the church, but who you gifted as leaders. I pray that you'd be humbling and working in the hearts of those leaders, God, um, that you would be sanctifying them and growing them to be more like you, Jesus, um, that you would be leading them as, as, as they lead others, God. And I pray for all of us as we follow and submit to you, God. I pray that that, that would be um, the first step is, is that we would be able to follow under and submit under a God um, who loves us and, and who gave his life for us, God. So we love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you love us enough to die for us. Um, I pray that you would be working through these songs as we sing, uh, sing them out to you, that they would be worshipful um, and that, yeah, that you would be pleased by them. We love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.